Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Actually, before we pray, just a quick story. Uh, This past weekend, I had a chance to visit with some folks, uh, two families, um, one that is literally in the process of moving their stuff in here, in, in the Spokane Valley area, and another family that I was helping to move. They were looking at some homes, and they got together, these two families, and were just looking at a home together just to kind of talk. And and the the, the reference, the, the thing that um, one of the family said is, you know, they're just like coming to the realization that this is real. They're going to move. And it's it's hard to get that sense of peace. And, and this couple, this young couple shared with me how they had a chance to come and just have a cup of coffee with us. Uh, after spending a day looking at houses and trying to make a decision about moving or not. And they just said how helpful it was just to be able to visit with us and have a cup of coffee and just be around our kids and and just to hear some stories. Just the power of testimony, right? the power of a shared life together and how valuable that was for them in their own discernment. And they just said, you know, they should just probably like stop looking at homes and just spend some time together, just kind of immersing themselves in the, in the whole experience of what they're going through. And that's a, such a powerful and important part of discernment is being able to share your story, to be able to be received by others. Did you hear that phrase, to be received by others right where they're at? If you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, if you're feeling a little bit um, like con- confused, like why are we having to do this? Why are we having to take this action to move? And, and why are we doing this again? What What is this all about? And so I love being able to walk with families in that circumstance, in that situation, because it's really about discernment, right? It's really about saying, what are we doing? Is this the best thing for our family? Is this the best thing for our lives? Are we doing this for ourselves or for our kids? Well, what is this all about? So for me, that's that's a whole mission and ministry that I've done in a variety of ways throughout my life in ministry, but doing it now in the context of real estate and helping people to discern buying or selling a home or both. Um, for me, that's a privilege. It's just a gift of being able to walk with families. And so uh, I just share this because um, it's so much more than just like I'm looking to buy a house or I'm looking to sell a house. It's so much more than that. And I just want you to know that if you're trying to discern and figure out in your lives what the best thing to do is, uh, I would love to be able, it would be a privilege to be able to pray with you and talk with you on the phone, on Zoom, meet in person if you're out in this area, in the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene area. Um, Love to be able to just talk and pray with you and just hear your situation and and help you discern what's best wherever you're going. It's not just for folks who are moving out here, but it's for folks who are trying to discern how do we do what's best for our family right now. And um, if that's your situation, please reach out to me, please. I would love to be able to serve you. Um, You can go to mycatholicfaith.org. It's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, there's a contact um, tab right there. Just contact me. You can leave a message. It's an email. You can uh, put down a phone number or a way to be in touch. Um, love to be able to hear from you and and to see if there's a way to be of service to you. I love being able to walk with the families I've been able to serve so far. Their stories are amazing. And uh, and I'll just leave it there. I, I just felt a prompting to, to do that, just to bring up that 
that concept of the journey, the journey that that folks are on. And it's actually quite relevant for the story of the of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It really is. And, and you'll see how um, once we dive into it. But I'm going to begin with prayer. Uh, I started chatting <laughs> before I even prayed. And I was going to pray, and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to share this. I'm not sure why, but I I honor the promptings that that make sense inside of me that say, okay, this is my discernment. This is something that is not coming from me. It's probably coming from the Lord. So let me take an action on that. That's that's discernment. All right, so let me pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, Heavenly Father, I come before you in Jesus' holy name, and I thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. And Lord, I ask that you would give each of us grace and mercy as we are uh, coming down the final home stretch, Lord, in these last two weeks of, of Lent, to honor you in this springtime, in this time of pruning in order to bloom. Lord, give us the grace to be willing to be led by you, even when it means pruning, even when it means suffering. Lord, please use those trials and difficulties in our lives to cleanse our hearts and minds, to make us ready to serve you well. Lord, I just ask that you'd purify me as a vessel to, to be more useful to you. Lord, more useful to you um, as your vessel. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of humility, the gift of being humbled. I thank you for that gift, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you give me the grace to continue to walk in that path for your honor and your glory in my life. And I make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome back to the program. So I mentioned that humility thing again. (laughs) This whole guardian angel, if you've been following along, you know I, I... followed that trail again this Lent to say, guardian angel, I give you permission to humble me each day and the various forms that it takes. It just, it, it does continue to um, amaze me, right? That the, the Lord in his humbling um, power, uh, in his grace to, to bring humility into my life. So last Thursday I had basketball practice um, with my daughter, Annalise's junior high Oaks team and at the end of practice, um, I, I had the responsibility, if I was the last one in the building, to lock it up. And I wasn't exactly sure about the protocol, how it was supposed to all map out, but I was in a hurry, and, and so I, I left. Left the building, took off. Carrie and I were out, and uh, on our way home that night, it was probably quarter of 10 at night, and I said, Carrie, I think I was supposed to lock up the gym in the school building, but I don't know for sure that it was locked up. When I left, it was still open. And and so here I am. I'm faced with this reality. It's now 9.45 at night. Do I contact the athletic director of the Oaks and text him at 9.45 at night and humbly um, uh, share that I did not fulfill my obligation? Or do I just go to the Oaks and just check on the door to make sure that it was locked? <laughs> and and here's the thing. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to arm 
the alarm, but that would have been one of my responsibilities too. So what do I do? Do I just just say, ah, it'll be fine. Just don't do anything and just go home and just hope that someone else locked it up after me and set the alarm. And do I just drive to the Oaks and just check? Because if it's locked, then I'm in the clear. I don't even need to tell anybody anything. Or do I humbly um, accuse myself of not having uh, done my job at the end of practice and uh, confirmed that there was someone else there on site that was going to, in fact, lock up. Ooh, this was this was a big one. This, I mean, it's such a little thing, right? But it was a matter of was I going to be transparent or not? Was I going to be? Um, uh, was I going to to share? Or was I going to, to text? Well, I wasn't. I was just going to drive and check. And Carrie was with me, and we were driving home. And I'm like, you know what? This is this is an act of humility. I'm, I'm gonna just I'm gonna just put it out there. So I texted the athletic director, and he was very gracious. And I just said, I'll go by. And I did go by, and sure enough, it was locked. Um, but I did. I was accountable. I had to be accountable for the fact that I didn't do my job. And he, again, he was very gracious about it. But man, I didn't like having to acknowledge the fact that I didn't do the part that I was supposed to do beforehand. Little humble, humble thing. Okay. So that's one side of humility to realize that, okay, sometimes you have to be willing to own something and just say, all right, well, if I need to own it and face the consequences, let me do that. And so, you know, I'm glad I did it. Well, earlier today, this is, um, let's see, what is it? Monday night when I'm recording this. So you're hearing this on Tuesday morning. Um, I was out at that building that I told you about a week ago, if you've listened to the program, where I humbled myself by unfortunately bumping my head and getting a slight concussion and leaving me in a little bit of a fog through the week and really made me very uh, compassionate, empathetic for people who have suffered head injuries that are much more serious than what I've experienced. Um, I went out there, and I was hoping to be able to... Um, Find, uh, set up a time to meet with the um, the chief of police, who is in the same parking lot as the as the building where um, I have these computers, and um, and sure enough, I, I ended up pulling in to the parking lot, and who pulls in behind me, but the chief of police, and it was so cool. It was like what a blessing from God that I didn't have to go find him, but. The exact timing of my arrival with his was just like a beautiful little sign from God saying, I'm going to humble you by showing you how I'm taking care of you. I'm going to humble you by giving you an experience that will confirm and attest to the fact that I am a provident God and I take care of your needs. You don't have to be clever. You know, you don't have to just rely on the idea that you're going to work hard, that you're going to make it happen, but be humble enough to receive from me blessings that will help you in the things that you are striving to do to provide for your family. It was it was just a, it was like a little thing, but it was 
so beautifully orchestrated. That's that's a beautiful word. Orchestrated. That I just saw the hand of God in it. And then I thanked the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for arranging that. And, and again, when you think about the way that two cars pulling into a parking lot, and I was driving from 40 minutes away, and that when I arrived, it was literally five seconds before he arrived. I just think that's pretty cool. I just think that's really, really neat. So um, I just I put that out there to say that if you were ever to say, you know what, I, I want to I try that. I want to try um, that that uh, initiative that Tom was prompted, that I was prompted to do, which was to invite your guardian angel, to ask your guardian angel, to plead with your guardian angel, to please humble you each day as part of your own growth and holiness, as part of your own Lenten observance. The act of being humbled isn't just a matter of being humbled by um, having something difficult or dark or some kind of exposure that is humiliating occur. But it's also the humility of allowing the Lord to say, watch what I will do to bless you. Watch what I will do to set you free. Watch what I will do to fill you to overflowing. I think that's just so, that's so important for us to know that humility isn't only the fruit of being humiliated, because actually you can be humiliated experience humiliation and and not end up letting it really benefit us in a way that's saying, oh, wow, that was so humiliating. I'm feeling more humble now. Instead of saying, I feel really angry that 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 happened or that God let that happen. Or uh, I want to, you know, get revenge on the person who humiliated me or things like that. No, 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 no. Humility is, is knowing the truth. The truth about who God is, or the truth about who we are, and the light of the truth about who God is. And our God is our loving Father. God is our, our generous Lord who longs to set us free, longs to help us find our identity in Him. Our identity in Him that Jesus Christ establishes as a, as a good shepherd, as a prince of peace, as, as the resurrection and the life. And for me, that's a, a beautiful way of sort of transitioning to this passage today that I'm going to reflect on, which is from John chapter 11. Obviously, if you went to Mass on Sunday um, and you heard, that's one of the options, is the these three great Gospels from uh, the Gospel of John, and, and the third one is the raising of Lazarus from the dead, um, that John chapter 11 is, is what I heard on Sunday. And so I'm going to offer you uh, my insights from John chapter 11 that I hope you find to be a great blessing. And I'll do that in a minute on Sound Insight. So please stay tuned. Welcome back to Sound Insight. So today I'm going to reflect on John chapter 11, which is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it's just such a beautiful passage of scripture. Let's dive into it. Let's see how this scripture can shine a light on our lives. John chapter 11 starts, there was a certain man named Lazarus who was sick. And even just beginning with that, one of the big things that we will focus on is the concept of identity. I just shared before the break about where's your identity? 
where do you find that sense of your essence, who you are, what, what your situation is can also have a deep impact on how you see yourself. And that's Lazarus's situation. Look how he's described. There was a certain man, a specific guy named Lazarus, who was sick. So his identity, his very sense of, oh, who's Lazarus? Oh, he's the sick guy. He's the one who is sick that that has taken center stage in his sense of consciousness or his life situation. And that's an important question for us. Where do we find our identity? What is it that's happening in our lives that impacts our own sense of self, um, self-identification? And I know that a health condition can definitely be one of those things, especially when that health condition is a very serious one. So there was a certain man, 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 excuse me, man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and dried his feet with her hair. Okay, so now we're coming up with another set of uh, a set of, uh, a, a scripture that's identifying who is Mar- uh, who is um, Martha or uh, Mary. So Mary here is identified with her action. Her action of what? Of expressing loving contrition, tremendous sorrow, uh, uh, contrition, right? A sense of loving the Lord so much that she despises her sin and she seeks to express how sorry she is that her, her, uh, her own um, actions have betrayed him. They've been sinful. And so... She was the one who anointed the Lord with her with perfume and dried his feet with her hair. So you know that story. And remember that she was, um, there was grumbling about her action because when she had uh, poured the oil on Jesus' head, there was a sense of what a waste of money. And her tears um, were washing his feet. And he was, Jesus, remember now, critiques the uh the uh, apostles and Pharisees who um, who critique her for her action. And he brings out the fact that it's because of her great love that her many sins are forgiven. So you can see how you can have a fundamental sense of identity that comes from how you're relating to Jesus. And that's what is being presented here as her sense of identity. Her identity comes from her relationship with Christ, and in particular, that action which is expressing her love for Christ and her desire to honor Christ and her sorrow, her deep contrition for when she failed to do that. Uh, Verse 3 says, The sisters sent word to, to Jesus to inform him, Lord, the one you love is sick. The sisters sent word to Jesus to inform him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, what's striking about this? It doesn't say, Lord, Lazarus is sick. It doesn't say that. It doesn't, ident- it doesn't say, Lord, um, the one who is sick, Lazarus, is, uh, needs your help. No, it, it identifies Lazarus not with his sickness, but rather with what? With his relationship with Jesus. In fact, with God's action, with the action of Jesus 
in his regard. Lord, the one that you love, that's, that's who he is. That's his identity. His identity is not found in his sickness. His identity is found in the fact that he's loved by Jesus. And, and that's how Mary and Martha address Jesus in his regard. The one you love is sick. And that for me, again, is so indicative. It, 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 it shines a light on our lives as it concerns how we are invited to see ourselves. No matter your situation, you are the one whom Jesus loves. Do you know that? Lord, the one you love, me, I'm also sick. Lord, Lord, the one you love, me, is struggling financially. Lord, the, the one you love, me, is right now having a hard time in my family. Right? So, we can identify all of the circumstances and trials, all the difficulties, all the things that are happening in our lives, and just say that those are not going to be the things that become the source of my identity. Where I'm going to find my source of identity is in the love of the Lord. Okay, how do we do that? It's a, it's a nice concept, but how do we do that? And Well, the answer is, let Jesus love you. Let Jesus love you. Okay, Tom, that sounds nice. How do I do that? Because doesn't God always love me? Isn't the- theologically correct to say I'm only existing right now because I'm held, um, I'm beheld by God in love. I'm held in his existence by, by God loving me in existence in, in an ongoing way? Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. But I'm talking about a personal love. I'm talking about a love that's intimate, personal, profound, and life-giving. I'm talking about a love that says, I know that I'm loved by you, by him. Okay, how do I do that? Well, you've heard me say it again and again and again, how powerful Eucharistic adoration is, because it's the personal presence of the risen Lord Jesus. It's the personal presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ. It's not bread. It's not a thing. It's Jesus. It's him. And even though it can, it can feel foreign or weird or I don't get it, I don't understand when you say that it's personal, I've never experienced a sense of personal love of Jesus going to the Eucharist and, or going into a church where there's a tabernacle and the, and the hosts are reserved there in the ciborium, right, in that what looks like a chalice, right, but it's, it's, it's holding the hosts that are consecrated but reserved there for the next mass when they'll be distributed or for the sick. Um, or maybe maybe you have the gift of being close to a church that has Eucharistic adoration, and therefore there's a sense of the ex, there is the reality of exposition where the host is displayed in a, in a monstrance and um, Christ is visibly present for veneration, adoration, worship, communication, intimate uh, uh, intimacy, uh, the intimacy that's available to you in prayer. Um, that's a place. That's a place for you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you can't say the one you love is sick as it, as it concerns your own life, please do this for me. Please at least seriously consider doing this for me. It can change your entire life, the trajectory of your entire life. Isn't that worth thinking about? I just put a 
pretty heavy thing out there for you to consider. That if you can come to know an experience, if you can come into an encounter that is undeniable, that you are personally loved by Jesus Christ himself, that you know that. You know that you are known and loved, named and accompanied with his presence and power. Jesus Christ himself, seeing you and loving you, pouring his graces upon you, stirring into flame gifts within you, and, and knowing that, that that's what's, that's what's accessible to you in adoration, in going into a church where there's a tabernacle, and being in front of that tabernacle. And if you're saying, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to get there, I've never experienced that before, then say those things. Lord, I'm here in front of this tabernacle. Tom said that you're present here in a way that's personal, and that you, the God of the universe, the living Lord, you're present here in that tabernacle, or you're present here in the monstrance that, Somehow I can know that it's really you and that you really see me here and now and that I can have an encounter with your love where I will know that I'm known. I will have a sense, a deep, a deep knowing, a kind of certitude that, that maybe is, is beyond my grasp of even, even imagining right now. I want that. Lord, I want that. I want that for myself. Please, I want that. I need that. I'm desperate to know that I'm loved by you. I'm desperate to have that sense that my identity could be found in this act of being loved by you. Please, whatever it is that's in my way, please remove that blockage. Please, in your mercy, please don't hold back. Please remove the blockage. Give me the grace. I want to know you. Would, would you be willing to try that? Just try it. And you're going to need to give a little bit of time, right? There are a lot of things that we do to put up our fences, to put up our walls, to put up resistance, to, to crowd out the the drawing near of the Lord with, with noise and our own thinking, with stuff that we would do. But if you respond to this and you go into a church before work, during work, uh, during lunch, after work, at night, um, your life could be changed. Your marriage could be changed. Your family will be changed because the love of the Lord will not only be at work on you and in you, but you will begin to have a Lazarus experience. I know I'm only on verse three, (laughs) but you will begin to have a Lazarus experience. You will experience a form of spiritual resurrection in your spiritual life that will introduce into your relationships the presence of God, the power of God, the glory of God. You will experience a sense of peace and order. You will experience a sense of blessings on your life and in your home in your life, you will realize that the battle is not yours. The ba- so many battles that you fight, they're not even yours, but they're God's. But you, 
you haven't yielded to God. You haven't let him come in and take over. You haven't given him space to work on you, in you, and through you. And this is what he wants to do. He wants to be so big in you, so powerfully present in your life that you will be able to say, Lord, the one you love, that's me. Yeah, I'm also sick. But it's not, I'm sick. Lord, what are you going to do about it? As if somehow the sickness is more central to my sense of identity than your love. Lord, my marriage is sick. Lord, my relationship with my kids is sick. Lord, my financial condition is sick. Lord, what's happening in my neighborhood and the world around me is sick. But I'm hoping that you love me enough to do something about it. That's too often how we approach it. That's too often where we start. It's too often where we end. We expect so little from God. We expect so little from him in terms of the living God personally drawing close to you and your life. And that is a, I was going to say it's a tragedy, it's a travesty. We have been swindled out of the inheritance that is ours as God's children. Your God is your heavenly father. He loves you more than you imagine. More than we'll know on earth. And 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 the, the, the reality of heaven is we'll be filled to overflowing. Hope to God we get to heaven. Filled to overflowing. That's the experience of heaven is a sense of filled to overflowing. That's the way saints describe it. Your cup, my cup runneth over. It's an uncontainable joy. It's too much. It's too much. It's an overflow. It's an overflow. That's heaven. And so too much of our life here on earth is, is, is as if we're still thirsty. We're famished regarding the good things of God. And that's not God's fault. It is not God's fault. The one you love, the one you are loving right now, is sick. If you have limited ability to get to a church where there's a tabernacle, if you have limited ability to get to a church where there's Eucharistic adoration, there are churches that have 24-hour Eucharistic adoration. There are uh, a few places here. I know at St. Joan of Arc in Post Falls, 24-7, there is an adoration chapel accessible and available uh, to be in the presence of the Lord. There are other parishes that do it as well. On the west side, I, I don't know in this um, COVID-impacted world where things are at, but I, I do know that certain parishes used to have 24-hour adoration. I'm Father Nagel's parish, St. Monica's of Mercer Island was one. I know that um, there was uh, uh, St. Pius X in Mount Lake Terrace was another. Uh, I know that St. Philomena's in Des Moines was another. I, I You have to check. Don't go out in the middle of the night expecting that you're going to find. You better go find out if they still have it. Um, I think there was uh, Holy Cross in Tacoma was another one. Um, but you'll have to confirm these for yourself. Um, we don't want to guess. But boy, if you can find a church, St. Mary's, Father Lewis has a chapel that's accessible. He, the, the, the Lord is present in the tabernacle, not expo, not an exposition, but uh, the adoration chapel is always available. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, I'm going to continue on reflecting on John chapter 11 
Um, and I just so desire for you to know the Lord's love in this in this personal way. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm reflecting on John chapter 11. Lord, the one you love is sick. And that's uh, that was what Martha and Mary said to Jesus. Boy, talk about, they knew it. They knew, they witnessed the fact that the Lord loved Lazarus. They knew it. They knew it so much that that's all they had to send in a message to Jesus that they knew he loved Lazarus. Boy, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing for us to be able to say is that others who watch our lives, others who interact with us, if they had to describe who is that guy, who is that who is that woman? Oh, that's the one Jesus loves. <laughs> that person has obviously been deeply loved by Jesus because look at their life. Their life is certainly... Um, marked by all of the signs and indications that that one is loved by Jesus. Okay, if, you, if you're just limited in your ability to access a church with a tabernacle and the presence of the Lord there and an adoration, get a Bible. Read a Bible. The Bible is God's Word. God's Word. It's a living Word. And when read in faith, you can experience an intimate, personal, profound, life-giving encounter with the Lord Jesus. The scriptures are the living word of God, and they are for us a place of encounter with the one who is the word of God. Don't believe me because I say it. The saints say it. The church teaches it. The catechism proclaims it. Catechism references St. Thomas Aquinas, who says, in the scriptures, we encounter the heart of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? In the scriptures, it's the heart of Jesus Christ that we encounter. That's a heart full of love, a heart passionately in love with us, pierced for us, crowned for us in the vision of St. Um, Margaret Mary Alacoque. Um, a beautiful, beautiful image, just prof- like a profound image, right? We c- we'll never get to the bottom of how much the Lord, the, the, the love, the, the passionate, merciful love that the Lord has for us. In the scriptures, we can encounter that. If that's a foreign concept to you, if you're like, I have a Bible, I've read a Bible, I've been part of Bible studies, I don't know what you're talking about, I get confused, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Please, encourage you to read the Gospels, begin with the Gospel of Mark, or the Gospel of John, and do a simple thing. The first thing is, just ask the Holy Spirit to please, Holy Spirit, be active as I read the scriptures. Please be active, Holy Spirit. Please, Holy Spirit, inspire me, the reader of this word, that I might read it as the word that it is. It's the word of God. And that I might be inspired to read just as the writer who wrote it was inspired to write. So you're just asking for the initiative of God to help you 
approach the scriptures with the eyes of faith. And faith, hope, and love, they're, they're alive in you. If you're baptized, they're in you. You don't have to try to conjure up faith, hope, and love. No. These gifts were infused into you. Like a blood transfusion, they were infused into you through your baptism. They might need to be stirred into flame. They might need to be exercised. Like if you're going to run a marathon, you better first run 100 yards, a quarter mile, a mile, two miles, five miles, 10 kilometers, uh, 20 kilometers. Oh, yeah, and then eventually you'll get up to 20 miles, and then you can run a marathon, right? Reading the scriptures, you're going to have to give it some time, make an effort. And when you read the scriptures, it can be something as simple as read the scripture of the day, read a particular book of the scriptures. I know that Father Michael Schmitz's podcast series of the Bible in a Year was extremely popular. And it was him reading a scripture and then offering a commentary. I think it's very powerful. And it, it changed how many lives, who knows. But for you to have an encounter with God's word yourself is encountering Jesus. And he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. The Father lovingly awaits his children in the word. That is um, church teaching. That's what the church church says in um, Dei Verbum, or, or in Ad Gentes, one or the other. I think it's in Dei Verbum. Uh, these are two documents from the Second Vatican Council. That the Father lovingly comes to address his children in his word. Just to have that sense of, again, a personal address from the personal God to you as a person. To know that your situation is in his mind, in his heart. He sees you. He knows what you're going through, and he has a word for you. Give him a chance to speak that word. So even if you can't go out, let the word go in. Even if you can't go out, let his word sink in. And that's what we're doing today on Sound Insight, is attempting to let his word be a word that's personal, a word through which his heart can be made manifest to us. How beautiful is that? to think that the Lord wants to speak to you today and to let you know that, that he loves you, that he loves you. And love is transformative. It's so powerful. It, it, it'll give you that sense of peace and harmony and order. And if you let him love you at the beginning of your day, do you know how much that'll change your day? You don't get beaten up by, the, by your own thinking and by the other things that just start rushing through your day. And all of a sudden, you just feel stretched in many directions and so busy that it's hard to think straight and versus, no, you let the Lord fill you up in the morning. You let him, you just sink in. You're like soaking a sponge in life-giving water, the Holy Spirit. And then as your day goes forward, you're pouring out from a fullness that you've received, a fullness that's alive and fresh. That sound, isn't that attractive? It sounds good to me. But it means we have to make the effort to do it. Okay, let's keep going. I've made it all the way to verse four. And there are, like 44 verses in this passage <laughs> in the gospel from this week. So I don't think I'm going to get through it all, but you know what? I think it's going to be okay. All right. Upon hearing this, this message that the Lord has received, Jesus said, this sickness is not to end in death. Rather, it is for God's glory. That through it, the Son of God may be glorified. That is so powerful. That is so important. Listen to this. Jesus said, this sickness is not to end in death. Rather, it is for God's glory. 
that through it the Son of God may be glorified. Okay, let's just ask ourselves the simple question. Was Jesus wrong? The sickness is not to end in death. Well, Lazarus died. So did the sickness end in death? Well, it did, but it didn't because, as you know, what happened? Um, he, he was resuscitated. He was raised from the dead. In fact, this is a really important passage. The sickness is not to end in death. It's for God's glory. Well, wait a minute. What actually ended in death was his sickness. It was the sickness that ended in death. Lazarus lived. Lazarus overcame this sickness. I think that it is so important for us to hear that Jesus, he is aware of our situation. He's aware of situations of, let's put the word sickness in quotes. He's aware of sicknesses that touch our lives. These again, these could be physical health conditions. They might be relational sicknesses. I know that many of us struggle with spiritual diseases, right? Addictive tendencies that have been connected to sins that we've committed. Just think about it. Just think about the reality of um, the reality of um, uh, pornography as as uh, the as manifesting the addictive nature of sin. But it's not just pornography. It's so many other uh, sinful tendencies we have that end up having a a sense of of um, dominance in our lives where we feel really powerless, and and so it's things that we see in our in our marriages, things that we see happening in our kids' lives, things that we see unfolding in our our world, right? With regards to our, um, again, I, I say finances just because it's a hard time, or these things that are happening in our wider society like comprehensive sexuality education, just to put that out there. I'm going to be talking about that later in the week because it's so heinous what's happening in the state of Washington and beyond, that the need that we have to stand up, push back, fight for uh, the truth of God as it's been entrusted to us is enormous. But whatever these sicknesses are, God's got this. He's bigger than this. That whatever it is, even if it looks like it ends in death, no, no, the, the Lord, He is Lord over, over death. He is going to be glorified through even these most difficult trials. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So just before the, uh, the break, I was talking about, I'm reflecting on John chapter 11 and showing just just trying to draw out um, themes and insights from John 11 that apply to our lives of faith as we are in the home stretch of our Lenten obligation. This is the, um, the, the final full week of Lent until next week we reach Holy Week. Can you believe it? I cannot believe how fast Lent has gone by. It has gone by so fast. And I've been so... <laughs> <laughs> humbled. Okay, let's go back to John 11. And it, we just find out that Jesus' 
discovers that the one you love is sick, that's Lazarus, and Jesus just says in verse 4, sickness not to end in death for God's glory, the Son of God will be glorified in it. And then listen to verse 5 and 6. This is like, what? Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, and her sister and Lazarus very much. First of all, that's just like where where does that kind of statement set in the scriptures? That Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus very much. I can't think of another person in the scriptures where it's identified that Jesus loved these specific individuals very much. The, the closest would be what? The beloved disciple. Of course, there are all these acts of love, loving actions, but the scripture actually saying Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus very much. You know, you have the uh, the the rich young man, Jesus looked at him with love, is, is another sentiment like that but this this is this is stands out as really um as unique yet in verse six after hearing that lazarus was sick he stayed on where he was for two more days what okay the one you love is sick jesus loves him very much and martha and mary very much okay i just found out Lazarus is really sick. Oh, he's deadly. He's deathly ill. I love him a lot. Let's sit down for two more days. Let's just sit here. Let's just plop ourselves down. And what a puzzle. What a what a mystery. What an enigma. Like, I don't get it, Lord. If you loved them very much, if you love Lazarus and love him very much and these sisters, why didn't you immediately take action? Get there as fast as you can. Why didn't you um, immediately, knowing him, where he lived, what his situation was, why didn't you heal him at a distance the way you healed the centurion's servant who was seriously ill? Why, why didn't you just say, uh, you know, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you enter my roof. Just say the word and, you know, my servant shall be healed. And and, and she was healed. The, the, the servant was healed. Like, why wouldn't Jesus just heal at a distance? Instead, what does he do? He sits down. He acts passively. He acts as if he's doing nothing. And that, that is so important and relevant for our lives because we can wonder whether the Lord loves us. We can wonder whether he sees us and knows us or loves us much at all. But even when we do know that he loves us, even loves us very much, and we've experienced his personal love very much in our lives, did you ever wonder, did you ever say to yourself, why is the Lord just sort of sitting back here? It feels like he's sitting down on the job. Doesn't he see what's happening? What is he up to? Why isn't the Lord taking action? And then we begin to doubt. Did I do something wrong? Does the Lord really care? Does he really see me? And if he does see me and, and he cares, this doesn't feel a lot like care. 
if this is what I'm going to expect to get from God, why do I want to bring this part of him to my life? Carrie and I have known that. We have known that sentiment. We knew it when we were having tremendous trouble conceiving, but even more fully when we would conceive and then experience a miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. The suffering involved in becoming pregnant after years of infertility and then becoming pregnant only to lose that child to a miscarriage was a tremendous suffering in our lives, in our marriage. And it was, it was a, um, it, it led to a narrowing down of our openness to the Lord. And I can remember Carrie, Carrie saying to me after, I don't know how many miscarriages, it was a lot. We have more children in heaven than on earth. We've got nine kids and we have more children in heaven than on earth that we've lost through miscarriage. And after just a, a number of these miscarriages happening in a row, there was a sense of, and this was over, this was over a couple of years, just saying, if this is the, how the Lord is going to treat us, why do I want to open this part of my life to him? If this is how the Lord is going to treat me and treat us in this aspect of our lives, why do I want to go to him? Because if, if you go to him with a sense of hope, you go to him with a sense of this time, maybe it, it'll all work out. Lord, we're going to cling to our faith this time and we're, we're, we're going to believe. And then to experience another miscarriage, it felt a lot like, well, Jesus loved Tom and Carrie very much, yet after hearing that they were continuing to experiencing these miscarriages, he stayed on where he was for two years more. And that was hard. It was really hard. And so some of you listening, you might be saying, yeah, Tom, you have no idea about hard. You have no idea about the kind of quote-unquote sickness that we're facing in our lives, in our home, in our relationships, with our parents, siblings, kids, our reality is so much harder. And we're wondering where Jesus is. Like, How much longer is he going to stay where he is before he does something to show us that he sees us, he knows us, he's loving us right now, and he's doing something about it. And this passage will help. This is a passage to cling to. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Your sickness is not to end in death, but rather it's for God's glory. That through it, whatever your trial, whatever your, your suffering, whatever your particular pain, the Son of God will be glorified. He will. He will be glorified in his time and in his way. He will be glorified. Verse 7 says, Finally, finally, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Rabbi protested the disciples, with the Jews only recently trying to stone you, you're going to go back up there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? If a man goes walking by day, he does not stumble, but he sees the world bathed in light. But if he goes walking at night, he will stumble, since there is no light in him. And to stop and to hear this from me is to say, 
Pay attention to the moment you're living in. And there are going to be calls that come to your life where you too are going to be asked to step out courageously, to step into a situation where there is suffering. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to do something about it, but I'm going to do something about it through your courageous action. And that courageous action might put you right into a situation where you might face what Jesus did, persecution. Recently trying to stone him to death, and he's going to go right back out there. He's going to get right back out into the fire. He's going to get right back out onto the front line because he's called. He's called to rescue this one who is suffering. I just say that there are situations that we face today. If you have been blessed with your Catholic Christian faith, if you know the Lord, if you're in a, in a family situation where you love the Lord, the Lord has blessed you with such an abundance that it's not only for you. You're going to be asked to put it on the line, to put it on the line and to stand up for others, others who are lost, who are least, who are last. I just think of innocent little children. I think of innocent little children in the womb whose lives are at risk to being severed and slaughtered through abortion. But I think of all of the millions of kids probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of kids in the state of Washington and the public school system who are being exposed to comprehensive sexuality education, who are being exposed to evil seeds being sown into their minds and hearts, who are going to be led into confusion, doubt, difficulty. And as a result of confusion about their sexual identity, they will be brought into tremendous suffering and potentially all kinds of addiction and abuse, all because we did nothing all because we were passive, all because we failed to stand up and to own the truth, to live the truth, to love the truth enough to proclaim that God made us male and female, that God made them male and female. And to say otherwise is to sow something pernicious, evil and ugly, that will lead to tremendous darkness in their lives. There's 12 hours of daylight. It's getting darker. We better take action now.